I'm Rebecca. And I'm Sarah. We're two friends who talk a lot about mental health and wanted to share some of these conversations at a time when people might be struggling a little more. I'm a clinical psychologist and I often ask my clients to think about having a bucket symbolising their capacity for life stresses. Some things add to the bucket, some things empty it. These are different for everyone and people are aware of and manage their bucket to different degrees. We're going to talk to a range of people about their buckets in the hope that it might help you with yours. This is a drop in the bucket. And this is episode nine. We are really thrilled to welcome our first guest from outside the UK. This week we have Claire Bidwell-Smith with us. Claire is a grief therapist and author of three books. Her latest is Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. And she has her own story of grief, which we'll ask her to tell you more about herself. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So we start by asking some more lighthearted icebreaker questions before we dive into the deep stuff. So firstly... If you had your own late night talk show, who would you invite on to be your first guest? Maybe living or dead. Oh, good question. It could be either. (laughs) I would love to have Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on. She's not living anymore, but she was the woman who coined the five stages of grief and Mm. uh, did a lot of work in the space that I now work in. And she was just fascinating. Like she was a real rebel at heart. So I really admire her. Like she smoked cigarettes up until the very end. She had seances, but she also was so curious about everyone's human experience. And I feel like she held a lot of space for us not all fitting into a little box. So I would love to ask her questions. Yeah, I don't think I knew much about her personally. She'd be, yeah, sounds like she'd be really fascinating to talk to. I would definitely watch that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes, she was apparently really, really fun to, to be around. Awesome. And if you could magically speak any language fluently, what would it be? I think my 18-month-old toddler language, <laughs> it's, which is a lot of gibberish. I think that that would be really fun. I would like to know what he's really saying. Fantastic answer. And if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Wow. Um, I first thought about food, of course, obviously, (laughs) because I'm always thinking about food. Um, And then my second thought was quiche. That was the particular food I thought about. But like, what a weird thing. I mean, there's so many other options here, right? And I'm thinking about food, but I, you know, let's just go with it. (laughs) That sounds like a great answer. (laughs) Uh, We then have a a quick five, although I've realized that the first one of our quick five, I don't know whether or not it'll translate over because not everyone has experienced British tea in the States because our first one is tea or coffee coffee uh sweet or savory savory morning or night morning flying or teleportation flying cats or dogs cats but i did just get two new puppies and i feel like i'm betraying them with that answer (laughs) so many people have said that that they've got a slight preference for one or the other but that they or somebody in their family has got the other one and so they feel (laughs) that you know as if the animals are going to listen to this uh, (laughs) everyone feels they'll know I really like the idea that we've got some sort of unknown listenership of pets that might might be offended by any of these answers. That's funny. Great. So that's a little window into you, Claire. But could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your experiences of mental health? Sure. I am American, raised here in the States, and both of my parents got cancer at the same time when I was 14. I'm an only child. My mom died when I was 18 and then my father when I was 25. So by the time I was in early adulthood, I was very alone in the world. And I was going through an experience that really none of my peers were going through. 
at that time, all of my peers were just out of school and they were in their first relationships and, you know, living in their first little apartments by themselves and kind of, you know, getting their own taste of adulthood. And I was really in the throes of grief and thinking about mortality in a different way, thinking about life in a different way, struggling a lot with depression and anxiety and all of those things. When I did start to come through it with the help of a lot of therapy and meditation and yoga and support from people in my life. I decided to go back to school, get my master's in clinical psychology, become a therapist. I worked in hospice for a number of years and then in private practice. Along the way, I've written three books about grief and loss. I was always a writer before before my parents even got sick. I was a writer. And so it was always my way of processing those losses and of kind of healing and understanding myself. And then as I began to work with so many people who were going through it, I started to write about that too, started to write about the things I was seeing in grief and loss. And so it's been, it's been quite a journey. Yeah. Wow. Love that. I just think <laughs> that's so cool. And, and you talk in your most recent book, um, I think in the introduction about your first experience of having a panic attack um, and realizing that that was the anxiety of that was related to your experience of your, your mother being unwell at the time. Before that, had you had any difficulties with anxiety or depression or realized that that was what that was? No, I had a really, um, a, you know, a fairly normal, you know, gentle, good life going forward up until that point. And then when they both got sick, it was just so much, so overwhelming. And I was an adolescent and having such a hard time understanding it all. I started having panic attacks around the time that my mom died. And I ended up in an ER, an emergency room at one point, and even there, the doctors really didn't connect the dots to see that what I was going through in my personal life had much to do with my physical symptoms. So I didn't connect the dots either. And I continued to really suffer from a lot of kind of debilitating anxiety and depression. And it was later going through school, um, learning about trauma, and then even further starting to meet other people who were going through grief as well. But I began to realize that all of that anxiety stemmed from the losses, it stemmed from the grief, it stemmed from kind of the trauma of watching my parents both get ill and die. And so once I began to connect the dots and really understand it, I began to write about it. And the more I wrote about it online, the more people flocked to my office, you know, saying, oh my gosh, I think I'm going through this too. My dad died last year and I started having panic attacks or anxiety. And so I began to see a really wide population of people who were also experiencing anxiety after a loss. And, you know, it makes sense. Now, when I look back on it, of course, I was 18 and having panic attacks going through that kind of experience. And I think, you know, these days, I think in the mental health world, we're getting much better at, at understanding that connection and those parallels, but we still have a ways to go. Yeah. And you say in your book that as a society, we're really bad at grief. Why do you think that is? It's just something that people um, really have a difficulty talking about. Um, people don't want to face it unless you've been through it. You don't really want to think about it or talk about it. And even when you do go through it, there's so much fear around it. That it's, it's an overwhelming experience to lose somebody we love. The amount of emotions that we experience in that one short time, just in the beginning throes of grief are so huge and, and more often bigger than anything we've ever experienced in our life. And then a lot of the times we get the message from the people around us that we need to move through it quicker. We need to get past it. We need to get over it. We need to get back to our lives. So we think that we're not supposed to feel all these things that we feel, um, but really it's quite normal. And yeah, it's, it's such an interesting time now to be going through this pandemic. I think that we're all grieving on certain levels right now. You know, we're grieving the life we were living. We're grieving the feeling of certainty we had. 
um, feeling of safety that we once had. We're grieving our children being home. We're grieving people that we're actually losing. We're grieving our health and we're grieving jobs and we're grieving companies falling apart, grieving political systems and healthcare systems. There's so much grief happening right now. So I think one of the positive things that I hope comes from this really terrible time is that we come out of it with a healthier respect for grief and loss and are able to talk about it a little better. I think it's really interesting what you said that um, often people just think that we need to get through it and move on. And another thing you say in your book is that closure is a made up thing. And that if we're failing at that, it's because we're failing at something that nature never intended us to succeed at. And it feels like people see that there's some sort of time limit almost on how long you're allowed to grieve or mourn. And I remember when I had a miscarriage a couple of years ago and I think I had two days off work that I'd already planned to take for study days and then I was back in work and I look back now and I just think how strange that I thought that that was I was going to be able to cope with that but also that everybody around me was just like oh yeah great thanks for coming back nice to have you back and that they didn't push me to take a little bit of extra time either I'm wondering what your thoughts are about when we all kind of start to come out of this and that grief process might take quite a lot of time for some people whether that's one of the the risks that you can see that some people are maybe moving on a little bit quicker than others and other people are are struggling with that if they feel like it's going on a lot longer for them first I'm so sorry about your miscarriage I I think a lot of a lot of responses to what you've said the number one thing I hear when people come into my office often they sit down on the couch and the first thing they say is I don't think I'm doing this right I'm not grieving, right? And it's because we have these ideas, right? That it should only last six months or that we should be able to get back to work or we should move through it quicker. Um, The truth is that there's no right way to grieve and there's no timeline for it. Often, you know, these losses stay with us through our whole lives, you know? We're never gonna be over these things. You're never gonna be over your miscarriage. You you will learn to heal and live with it and be okay. And we can still live meaningful lives and, and, you know, be happy in many ways, but we never let go of the people that we've loved and lost. Um, and so closure is a myth. And, and, and I think that we need to be more compassionate about that and understand that a little bit more. And I think, interestingly, Becca, I remember you then needed to go to hospital and have some medical uh, stuff done after, just after the miscarriage. And you then had to be off work for physical reasons. And suddenly that was like accepted. And I remember you saying, I should have done this. You know, I wish it had been acceptable to do this for my mental health. Now I've got a legitimate reason but actually you know we can't we we don't know when it's going to hit us I think that's the other thing is if you've been through something traumatic and you need to have time off work it might be that actually you're doing okay for a couple of weeks and then something else happens and it hits and then you need to have time you know it's not linear it's not going to go in these stages one of my friends talked about moving forward rather than moving on because she really didn't like the idea of moving on from a loss but actually you can move forward one foot in front of the other but that's not the same as forgetting it or closing it or any of those kinds of things and I think actually people don't know what to say do they no they never know what to say um it's it's hard to watch people in pain you know it's hard to watch us see someone uncomfortable we want to fix it we often say the wrong thing trying to help them move through it and a lot of times the the answer to that is you know you don't have to say anything you just have to be there to be curious about their experience. Um, I think you're right. A lot of times grief doesn't come on right away. You know, you're in shock or you're busy with things that have to happen around that loss. 
and, and I see a lot of grief come at the six month mark, you know, right when people are really expecting you to be over it and have moved forward and moved on. Um, you're really starting to understand the ramifications of the loss. It's really sinking in for you. Um, you may be having anxiety or depression at that point. And that's exactly the point when everyone else drops out and they think that you're good and you should be, you know, you should be fine and back to things. Um, but grief plays out for a long time and it's so different for everyone. And I think we will see that, you know, to answer your other question in, in various ways as the pandemic comes to a close at some point, hopefully, you know, that I think there will be extended periods of grief and everyone will go through it in different ways. Some people will move on quickly um, and some people will continue to grieve for years. There is going to be a lot of complex and complicated grief that comes out of this, this situation. I think there will be some trauma around it. I think there will be some blame, some guilt. The fact that people are dying in isolation, that we're not able to have funerals and memorials and sit shiva and have wakes, um, it's going to all lend to a very complex way of grieving. I've just literally just come from a, a work meeting. So I'm a, a reception teacher, which is like kindergarten over here. Mm-hmm. And um, our government have just said that they would like schools to reopen from 1st of June with the oldest children, our 11 year olds, and our youngest children, so our four or five year olds. And we were just talking about how impossible that is going to feel for children not being able to be close to each other you know we just don't know the impact of some of this and I think it is that delayed effect isn't it of grief you get going you try and survive that initial period and then it's almost when life lands back into a more normal routine that you go oh hold on this isn't as normal as I thought it was going to be and this has all changed and I think that yeah is hugely anxiety inducing for children and for adults. I think you're really right. I think often it is the moving forward that brings on some of the, the grief. You know, I remember um, when my mom died, I left university for a little while and went home. And then I went back and I ended up changing schools. And I had my very first day at this new school. And I remember waking up and I, I hadn't cried that much about my mom yet. It had been almost a year and I just hadn't. And that first day when I had to go to orientation, I just woke up and collapsed to the floor, like thinking that I was going to do something new in my life that she wasn't going to know about. Um, so it is sometimes that moving, that moving forward that can bring on so much of it. And then I cried for like a year, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I do know that there are so many of us in the mental health space and world that are, are really working hard to prepare to support that grief. I have been busier than I've ever been in my entire career, talking with people, having meetings every day um, with other people in my field, just trying to figure out what can we put in place? How can we bolster more and more support for everyone who's going to need it? Yeah, I think it's so strange at the moment. We keep saying everyone is going through this and we're all in the same boat as it were, but we're, we're, we're not. Everybody's situations are so different. And whilst everybody is going to be experiencing some sort of loss and grief, it's going to be to different degrees, but like you say, at different times, I know that there are there are days where I've spoken to friends who are really struggling and I've been having a really good day and I feel like I'm able to support them and then I feel like I'm doing really well and then there's a week where it just all comes crashing down and unless I sit down and really really think about what's going on and what kind of what have I heard in the news or what have I just realized I'm not going to be able to do later in the year it's difficult to figure out why it is that I'm suddenly struggling again and like you say, Sarah, it's not just a matter of you get better, 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 better. There could be times where it dips again. And I guess this must be something that you see a lot, Claire, that if you've started to feel better, however you define that, and then you start struggling again, it might be really difficult to admit that or to link it back to the, the same issues, to the, to the same grief. That's right. Absolutely. And I think 
a lot of our losses like will come up throughout our lifetimes. You know, I know that I got divorced a few years ago, six years ago, and that brought up a whole new feeling of grief over my parents and my family and just kind of going through those things. I know that a lot of people right now who've been through loss and trauma are feeling very triggered right now during the pandemic, you know, so it's, these are things that kind of stay with us. There's, they're never like one and done. And so we have to respect that and we have to find ways to honor it, find ways to heal, find ways to look for support. We really have to get better about asking for help. All of us, you know, there is help out there. There is so much support and we shouldn't be afraid or feel ashamed to ask for help. Yeah. Well, we call this podcast a drop in the bucket and it's because we think about this metaphor of we all have a bucket that has a limited capacity for stress whatever that stress looks like Um, and one of the reasons that i really like this particular metaphor um, and talk a lot about it with uh, the clients that i see is that it's applicable no matter what mental health situation you're dealing with i think it's quite difficult sometimes to find we call something that's transdiagnostic that if you're talking about depression or anxiety or trauma or psychosis or whatever it might be, something that's applicable to everybody and also to people who don't experience ill mental health. So we ask everybody who comes on this podcast to talk a little bit about their buckets. And I wonder whether um, you want to talk a little bit about you specifically, but also maybe the kind of things that you see in your in your clients in people who are going through grief so first of all we'd ask you what are some of the things generally in life that add stress to your bucket I think I have a lot of kids at home right now so I'm balancing kids and work and that's um, adds a lot of stress and you know there's just a lot of stress I'm feeling right now during this time period just a lot of uncertainty and fear and I have to be really careful about my news intake and how much I'm processing every day. You know, a lot of times we, we're looking at our phones before we're even out of bed in the morning and downloading way too much information. So I can get out of bed some mornings if I'm not careful and, and I'm already anxious, you know? So those are things that really kind of cause a lot of stress for me. Yeah. Are there things that when your clients come to you talking about anxiety and grief that you, you commonly see them struggling with things that they're commonly finding quite stressful or quite triggering? A lot of times it's, it's a lot of unprocessed grief. You know, people have a bucket full of grief and they haven't, they've, they're trying to pretend like they don't, they're trying to pretend like it's not there um, or it's not full. And often it's so full and so just overwhelming for them that if they could just pause and start to really look at that grief and start to unpack some of it and explore some of it, it can really help decrease some of that anxiety and some of that depression. Yeah. Um, which leads quite nicely onto the second question we ask people, which is when do you notice that your bucket is filling up? <laughs> when I'm crying or yelling at the, the family. <laughs> so, you know, it always comes out with the, with the people that we love, right? So my stress will come out when I just have these outbursts. I think I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then like one little thing will crack me, right? And I will either burst into tears or start yelling at somebody. And that's, you know, I think a lot of us go through that. And, and we like to think that we don't, that that's not going to happen, that we have it all put together. But I think it's pretty common. Yeah. And when do the people around you who know you best, when do they start noticing that you, your bucket might be filling up a little bit? (laughs) Usually same things. Um, But sometimes I'll get very quiet too. And I just, I've lost that, that ability to be present or to feel joy. Um, And I think that that can be very apparent too. Um, Even during these strange times, we should still be making space to feel good, to enjoy ourselves, to laugh it's, we can't, we can't spend our, all of our days in misery and anxiety and tension and being serious. We have to make space for, for lightness too. Yeah. And at what point do you try to 
do something about the stress in your bucket because like you just said sometimes it's really easy to go I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine and wait until the point at which it kind of you know explodes personally I try to mitigate that by you know preempting that happening so I have my own meditation practices I have ritual practice um, I exercise I really try to get some sleep and there's such simple things but those are the things that keep us from spilling over you know um, I think meditation is an invaluable resource that a lot of people overlook or find intimidating for some reason. There's so many great meditation apps out there. You don't need to have the goal of sitting on a mountain like a Buddhist monk, you know, just taking moments throughout the day where you calm yourself down, you step away from your anxious thoughts, you regulate your breathing. Those things can add so much enormous benefit to not letting everything spill over. Yeah. And particularly trying to build that into everyday life. It's not easy, you know, I, it's, and, and I think that's one of the things that prevents people from diving into those practices is that it's, it's not easy to make that time, but I think that it's easier than spilling everything out all the time. Well, that's, I would say now, particularly during this pandemic, less so before the pandemic started. And then definitely in the past, I have been someone who is guilty of uh, waiting until I am full or spilling over before I do some of those practices that I know are going to help me because if I feel okay then it can feel like those things are a bit of a waste of time <laughs> I'll do other things that need doing and then I'll come back to those things when they feel necessary but it would be nice if they never felt quite as necessary as when I'm at the top of my bucket and I'm a mental health professional as well. I'm a clinical psychologist and I know all of these things and I still don't take my own advice sometimes. So you're right, it's really not easy. Even when you know exactly what you should be doing, exactly what's good for you, you still don't do it all the time, do you? No, you don't. You know, I saw your post today, Becca, about the fact that you have started taking 50, like 15 minutes a day to sit on your bed and read a book. And I was so proud of you. I was in the middle of school, so I couldn't text you, but I was so proud of the fact that you were actively taking time for yourself every day. I was like, oh my goodness, this is a huge step. But that has come as a result of having a few days where my bucket has spilt over because um, my baby has, I don't know why, just had a few days of being particularly moany and gripey and whiny. And I don't know how to help him or fix it. He just seems unhappy with everything a lot of the day. And just the sound of his whining drives me around the bed. It's just, it's an awful sound, isn't it? It's babies whining and it's, it's supposed to be so that we go to them and tend to them and try and help them with whatever they need. But it's really, really ground me down. And it got to the point where I was in tears after a particularly bad nap. And was saying to my husband, it's all right for you. You're working from home at the moment and you get to go and shut yourself away in the office. And I, I don't feel okay by the end of the day. Um, I feel absolutely exhausted and I think I need to take a break and it doesn't need to be long. I just need to know that there's going to be a time of day when if it's all getting a bit much, I know you will just take him and I can go and take myself into another room. So yeah, it's been great, but I, I really wish I'd come to that before I'd had these days where I was just yeah. in tears. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's what it looks like for me, Claire. What does it look like for you when your bucket overflows? Again, it's a lot of that stress. I go to places of fear when my bucket overflows, you know, and that's when I just, I, I'm not thinking rationally and I start going into disaster mode or catastrophic thinking. And for me, again, this, this idea of taking 15 minutes a day, whether it's reading or meditation or just breath work, 
is so helpful. And it's, it's called a practice because you have to practice, you know, it's not easy. It's like exercise. You know, if we build in half an hour a day to go and exercise, you know, it's something that we have to work at every day. Some days are harder than others. Some days feels great. Some days you really have to make that effort. And I think the same thing is true of this. And we need to be so much better at this mental health exercise. We're so good at the physical, or at least like talking about it and promoting it and saying we should all do it, but we need to do this with mental health too. Do you ever still have panic attacks? Because I, I had panic attacks when I was at university um, and then I had a, a long period of depression and anxiety four years ago where I had them. And then I've had maybe two in the last four years, mm-hmm. one of which was the day that they announced that schools were closing and I was like the last day I saw my class before they went off and so I heard other news and and it took me by surprise because I I thought I had a lot of things in place to stop me getting to that point again but actually still the big things can still take us you know take away all of that uh, built up work to try and stop it so just wondering if that was true for you as well. I haven't had a panic attack in a long time but I do get to places where I feel like I'm up at the edge, you know, of that, of that really high anxiety level. And I've done so much work to really try to find ways and practices to bring myself down from that. Some days though, you know, we just wake up anxious and, and it feels like it's even beyond us. And I'm sure that anyone listening can relate to that. And, and I, again, I just think finding what, what works for you, different practices. I I'm so curious about this time in our lives when everyone's wanting everyone to be really productive and bake bread and work on your abs and all these things. And I'm not sure that that's going to lend itself to peace and, and less anxiety. I think for me, I've been trying to lean inward, deepen those practices I know are important, create a sense of ritual for myself, even turn to my spirituality in new ways. Like I feel like I'd rather work on my spirituality than my, my biceps. I don't know. Um, because those are the things that really help me keep that anxiety and those panic attacks at bay. And the irony is, I don't know what it's like there, but we're being told how wonderful it is to bake your own bread and bake cakes with your kids. Um, but we can't get flour anywhere. So we can't do any of those things. We still have flour for now, but we'll see. Yeah. Interestingly, flour seems to have started surfacing again, but yeast has disappeared. I know. The yeast has gone here too. <laughs> and I'm just wondering when um, a lot of your clients come to you, whether a lot of them have got to that point where their, their kind of grief bucket has overflowed and that's why they've realized that they, they, they need to seek help versus the people who maybe their bucket's not quite so full um, and they've become more self-aware. What's, what does the balance feel like when people have come to you? I would say about 80% come when their buckets have already spilled out and that this is kind of their last resort or that was their wake up call that they really do need help. They had been pretending all along that they were going to be able to get through this or they really hoped or thought they would, or they had ignored all the signs that they were getting too full. Um, So they come at at a point of crisis, you know, almost always they've had a panic attack or a relationship has fallen apart or they just have found that they are debilitated by um, whatever depression or anxiety or anything else they're feeling. There's another 20% that I think are really proactive about their mental health. So there'll be someone who will go through a big loss and immediately realize that they need to seek some help. And so those people I see, it's a really different work process with them because they're kind of coming into it much more open, ready to really face it head on, ready to figure out where they need to support themselves. Um, So that's different from people who come in in crisis and we have to really sit down and pick apart the whole thing and be like, okay, 
let's, you know, let's get you feeling stable for a moment and then let's go back and, and review, you know, where are the places that you feel you haven't grieved? Where are things the most tense for you? Where do you need to do this work? Yeah. And another thing that you talk about in your book is about not ignoring feelings. Um, mm-hmm. But it sounds like for a lot of those people, they, they have been ignoring them or trying to ignore them for quite a time and then to sit down with you and feel like that's all going to spill out. Um, that must be really tricky for you as a therapist to manage because it can feel a little bit like um, I've had clients come to me and say, it feels like I'm about to open in, in Friends when Monica opens the cupboard and there's just all that mess in there. And she's like, I just haven't gone in there for years because I, I, I can't bear, bear that. And I think it's all going to come crashing out and be worse and they're not going to be able to make sense of it. Yeah, I love that. I always use the metaphor of a, a suitcase. I feel like clients come in with this big, heavy suitcase full of all that same kind of stuff. And we open it up and they are scared to open it. And then once they open it, they're like, oh my God, I don't want to look. I'm such a mess. There's too much in there. I can't even bear to look at it. But I feel like the goal of therapy is to really sit together and slowly piece by piece, start to take things out, start to look at them, start to figure out what we need to get rid of altogether, or if there's new things we need to put in and kind of rearrange it all so that at the end of our time together, you know, over a period of weeks or months or years, we can the suitcase back together and it's lighter and more organized and yeah yeah i love that so you've already mentioned um kind of your meditation practices and exercise but are there any other things that really help to empty your bucket writing always writing i mean it was something i was drawn to as a kid and i've done now my whole life but it's something i really recommend to all of my clients and work with them on i think getting up in the morning and just writing for 15 minutes whatever comes out doesn't have to be something you want to share doesn't have to be something you even ever look at again, but just writing out all of that stuff that's bubbling around inside of you that we carry around all day, I think can be really, really helpful. It can also be ways of feeling more connected again to a person you've lost for writing about them or writing to them. I think those are really help, helpful things to do too. And if you were going to give some advice to people listening who maybe they're feeling like they are grieving at the moment or who might experience some grief um, later on during this pandemic or after it's finished, what would be some of your tips for maybe noticing that and some of the first things to do if they do notice those feelings of grief or anxiety? Well, I think, you know, first give yourself permission to let it be grief. I think often we feel like unless it's a specific person that we lost that's really important to us, then it's not grief. Um, So people really dismiss the grief that comes with losing a pet or going through a divorce or the grief that we're feeling during this pandemic of grieving our kids not being in school or grieving, you know, the loss of a job. That is all real grief. So noticing that, acknowledging it, and then starting to talk about it, looking for support with it. I don't think any of us should have to manage something that huge on our own. A simple internet search should yield a lot of results for grief support in all different areas. There's so many people offering support through the pandemic right now. There's so many amazing books out there about grief and loss. So just reading a book about grief and loss can help you realize that your feelings are normal, can give you lots of tips and ways to start to work with them. I think it's really important to just let ourselves grieve. Mm. And we've talked before about just the importance of allowing yourself to feel however it is that you feel. And that's particularly, it feels very tricky at the moment because there's a lot of comparison going on, whether that's coming from other people or whether it's just coming from inside ourselves of, 
acknowledging that there's some grief or some anxiety or some sadness, whatever it is there, but then immediately saying, but I know I'm so lucky because X, Y, Z, or because this other person seems to have it worse than me. So I can't possibly experiencing all of those things. No one else can understand your loss. You know, the biggest loss is always your loss. It's, it's the only one you know. And one of my favorite things to tell people is that two things can be true at once. You know, you can feel lucky and you can also be grieving. You don't have to pick one. You know, you don't have to just pick one of those. Um, it's the same thing when we talk about what it means to move forward in your life. You can move forward and have a meaningful life and be happy and still always miss your person and still always be grieving on some level. You don't have to pick one. Both can be true at once. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I think that would be a really nice note to end on. Claire, thank you so much. You've just said how busy you are in this time. We really appreciate you taking the time to come and speak yeah. with us. Um, it's, it's been fantastic. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for you know creating this space for people to feel better. Thank you. Well, thank you everybody for listening and we hope you'll tune in next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Drop in the Bucket. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Drop in the Bucket Pod or Twitter at Drop Bucket Pod. Alternatively, you could email us on dropinthebucketpod at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from some of you about what fills and empties your bucket or any questions that you might have for us or our future guests. We hope you'll tune in next week.